all I wanted to say is that um, David will try and tell you otherwise, but he drinks boxed wine, guys. So um, <laughs> I just want to throw that out there into the universe. Uh, he drinks his wine from a box. Um, yeah, it speaks for itself. What's that? And it, come, and it comes in different flavors. Yeah, well said. Well said. It comes in different flavors because he puts Sprite or ginger ale and mixes it. And, uh, yes. Yes. This is Mark, the, the, no, the Christian Pot. Christian Pot. Don't worry. Jesus Jesus drank wine with his brothers before getting, getting crucified, so it's okay. Blood of Christ? Yeah. Speaking of Judas, Jeremy, yeah. glad to see you're, you're back, you know, after last week when you abandoned us. No. Yeah, no. Um, the allergies hit me like a ton of bricks, and um, I didn't want to show up on the podcast all groggy and whatever, but like, no, yeah, you guys are well within your rights to, um, what's the word? Uh, yeah, crucify me. So, uh, I hope your dreams were more interesting than UFC 249. No, I don't have dreams. I have nightmares. <laughs> That's so wow. Nice. Okay. we started. That's a very school shooter esque uh, rhetoric there. Yes, we started this call so positive, and I feel like <laughs> by talking an hour in pre prod, <laughs> like we we're yeah. kind of going down a real dark road now. No, I just, just want to point out, Jeremy, did you did you like Good Charlotte back in the early two thousands? Did I once? Do you like good Charlotte back in the early 2000s? Because, I mean, jeez, dude, I only have nightmares. I don't have dreams. <laughs> dreams dreams are for the hopeful. <laughs> All I have is good Charlotte. <laughs> I don't know that band, but I'm sure I would probably like them. <laughs> God, David. <laughs> All right. All right. All right. So, oh, yeah, uh, aside from Judas, Jeremy Asif over there. Um, we got David, uh, apparently a box wine drinker, um, and <laughs> and Stefano, the alcoholic, who is drinking a uh, alcoholic beverage. We'll say we don't know who the, that that place uh, the brand is because they do not sponsor us, and therefore they oh, don't get yeah. out on this podcast. It'll be imposed, right? As yeah. as as the wise as the wise Demar Rosen once said. Not sponsored by Gatorade. What? No, that's not Demar Rosen. What's the name of uh, the famous Toronto basketball player? The Tall black guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not Rosen. Yeah, because that guy. Everyone was, everyone was mad when he left the team. Who is the moderator? Let, 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 let's let's get right, Moving on. Not guys, sponsored by Gatorade. You guys ready for some news like about sports? <laughs> <laughs> Who's the black guy? Like, yeah, tall, tall black guy. All of them. Yeah, all of them. Yeah. <laughs> all of them aside like ten of them. Yeah, they, then yeah. nails it down. Um, okay. Anyway, anyway, we didn't get to this for the last couple of weeks, but I actually wanted to give this guy a shout out. Jonathan Femi Cole got drafted by the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in the sixth round. Um, me and Jeremy know that guy actually very well. So you know. Oh, wow. Yeah. Congratulations. Hey. No, phenomenal player. Phenomenal player. Yeah. Man, it's do and, I, and I will say this. I don't have any background knowledge or anything at all. All I'll say is that I think it's cool that Canada has its own football. 
Yeah. I think more people should watch it, even though I'm a hypocrite because I don't care about football. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Support your local teams. Man. Yeah, no. The, uh, I don't watch Argos football very much, but – yeah, you know, hopefully he does well with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Actually, we had a church member who who was drafted by the uh, Rough Riders as well. So I don't know what what it is with uh, drafting the friends of the light kick, but they they do it. The so. Seafold brothers rubbing rubbing shoulders with fame over here. That's what I'm saying, man. I, I I mean I don't know about you guys. I'd be more inclined to watch the CFL if it was actually Canadian players as opposed to just C tier American players. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, for the most part, but damn, I, that, that was so negative. I feel like I just threw shade on these. Look, C tier, C tier is no is no insult. These are still elite, 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 elite athletes. Yeah, don't think. We, yeah. Hey, thanks for thanks for thanks for no selling. Thanks for no selling me, boys. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, no, like, but, like, but, but you guys. Like, these guys are like just one step removed from the NFL. Of course, NFL's like main uh, picking ground is the NCAA, but immediately after that, the next place they look is the CFL. So it's not like they're it's not like they're like far away from being pro football players are getting on a roster. They maybe are just missing one two pieces of intangibles or something like that. Would it, would it be similar to like a UFC Bellator relationship almost? Um, I'm not sure. I don't know too much about how far Bellator is from uh, UFC, but uh, don't you have like one or two guys in Bellator that could probably do pretty well in the UFC? Oh yeah, I, yeah. I would say I'd say it's more than that. I'd, I'd say that certain divisions have have fairly competent fighters that could be in title contention in the UFC, but for the most part, you're looking at um, a slightly lower of talent that are kind of missing those intangibles, like you said. Yeah, I mean, like, with... So I guess maybe kind of because a lot of guys who get called up from the CFL to the NFL, like, you have, like, one, maybe two guys who end up in the top 50 uh, players in the NFL, so... Um, but it's kind of rare, so maybe I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, in any case, you know, it's it's still a, an accomplishment to be in the CFL. Yeah. You are still a pro athlete, so you gotta give them their due there. And so, you know, for for everyone who got drafted, you know, kudos to you, and understand that it isn't the uh, the last step. You know, the journey is not finished, but. Hey, you know, like it's a, it's a good start. If, if you're if you're being paid to do what you love in life, then you are winning. Yeah, there it is. There it is. All right, let's see. Um, in other news, oh yeah, the Bundesliga has opened their season, so that's that's a plus. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. All right, I watched that game. I watched uh, two games, three games, three games over the past couple of days. Um, yeah, it's glad. Great to have soccer back, man. Weird to have no fans, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's kind of been to it, there's been interesting parallels to the UFC in terms of some people seem really game and they're just so excited to be doing what they love, and other people look like uh, that they haven't you know gotten out of the quarantine yet or that social distancing, um, and still are a couple of weeks away from being 
the athletes that they used to be. So, yeah, glad to have the Bundesliga back. Hopefully more leagues can be back. But um, it's going to be – I'm not sure if you guys had too much of a take on this one, but it's going to be weird because a lot of uh, leagues like Holland and France have actually uh, already ended their season. Um, but the Champions League is still going to happen. So that means, you know, Ooh. the team – might not be playing from now until August, while some teams are playing. Um, so, like, you're, what you're saying is it, Ajax might win the Champions League because they're rested. <laughs> or, ironically, the exact opposite. They haven't played for so long that they just haven't got the game or match experience to be kind of in the form that they need to be to perform at the highest level. So, yeah, no, it's gonna be it's going to be interesting to see. Anyway, yeah, but I'm glad soccer is back. And I did watch a, a bunch of Bundesliga games. Shoutouts. No shoutouts needed. But Holland, for my soccer fans, you know what it is. Um, yeah. Cool. cool. Um, oh, last one. Future released a, a new album. I know where. The King of Misogyny. Of tax, toxic masculinity, if you will. He released a new album. High on Life. Uh, I don't know the... Microphone oh. picked it up, but my girlfriend literally kissed her teeth. <laughs> well, you, you know what? I have something to say in response to that. To quote the great future. Hey, how dare you? He came up with this this great line that like I keep saying to my girlfriend. <laughs> I'm like, she goes, he goes, I cheated on my girlfriend. Now she's acting different. I'll never forgive her. That's what he said in the, in the song. I was just like, that's amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. That <laughs> a king. Yo, like, I think sports, I think music needs sports as much as sports needs music to spread the word around. Because I didn't even know until, like, I think a week later that Drake dropped an album. Yeah. And, like, if I was in football camp right now, like, that's... That stuff would be blaring like during spring ball, like like it'd be all over like uh you know, I wouldn't participate in it, but it'd be all over rotation sessions, uh when you know don't worry, I'll I'll bail you out with this. Uh you know, speaking of future, there are some ties between future and the last dance documentary. You ready? Wait, for this hold on. One? I was like, I was liking that Jeremy is C4 rants. Come on, Mike. Why you gotta why you gotta no sell Jeremy like that, man? The reason why is because he's gonna go to a place that he doesn't want to go to, and I know. What do you mean? No, no, Jeremy, Jeremy, talk. Come on, right, man, talk. I wasn't gonna any place. I was just gonna I was just saying, like, like um the fact that you know society is shut down, it kind of hurts the music industry because that's how music gets mm-hmm. the same. It is is by like different interactions like that. That's all I was saying. Uh, I was just using the example of like people, you know, play music when they want to fly me to the moon. Hilarious. Jeremy, you should say it on the pod way more. You know what? Can we just have Jeremy? Jeremy actually has a killer voice. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. I can carry it too. Yo, hit me with a couple more octaves. A man of <laughs> yo 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 yo. How's your arpeggio? This is a high school musical, guys. Come oh on. man, all right, never mind. Oh <laughs> man, I can carry you. Want, you want to? You want to do it? Let's go for karaoke. Let's go for karaoke after the after the podcast. 
I don't think for guys. <laughs> um, I don't even know where we're going with that one. Yeah. All right. Okay, All right. Jeremy. Thanks. Uh, thanks for just. Uh, yeah, Mike. Okay. But anyway, uh, I wanted to segue. I had this perfect segue going. So there's actually ties between Future and the Last Dance documentary, which we'll get into. Uh, does anyone want to take a guess at these at the ties between the two? Yes. Oh, I I know. Um, the tie is I don't really care about either. Okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you thought I was gonna go play the race card, eh? Why? Because I'm white. Okay, sorry, Mike. Go on. Go on. This is, this is enough. <laughs> no, oh, so, um, no, that's sorry. Fake mama drama. I don't know. I'm guessing. What? what oh, oh, okay. I haven't watched so, the, the last four left. Oh, 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 both are at the top of their respective fields. No, 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 no. <laughs> guys, guys. This actually is very interesting. Um. So, Future actually slept with Scottie Pippen's wife. Wow. Yeah. You know, save this for the pre-pod? Okay, cut that no, out. Cut that no, out. I don't want to talk I about that. I, I don't want to. I don't want to. But, like, it's, I found it interesting. I was actually kind of reading up on that. And I was like, holy crap, that happened? Huh? Like, while well, they were together? Yes, yeah. while Scottie Pippen and, and his yeah. wife were there. But they were actually separated. Can't trust anybody these days. They were separated. Man. It's crazy. Are they were separated? Okay, then it's yeah. then it's fair game. Yeah, but it's not as salacious when we get into the details and the truth. But I, I, that is kind of crazy, though. Um, did you know Future is also sleeping with Steve Harvey's? Oh, are we not doing that? Or wait, uh, Future's Future okay. sleeping with Steve Harvey? Wow. No. What? Huh? I mean, he does have a. We're pretty cutting this thing. out of the pot. Why? Cutting this out. We're not talking about uh, who's sleeping with who. That's nasty. You know this one's actually it's his stepdaughter, I know, I know. We're cutting it up. Wait, anyway. Steve Harvey is future stepdaughter, and they're sleeping together? That is some yeah. salacious material. <laughs> well. Uh, so, so moving how about you have seen last night? Yeah, so we're going to stop with smirching the name of the best game show host in history. Dude, Steve Harvey sucks. You're asleep. You're asleep. Yeah, so the best game show ho- knock, host, knock, knock, it's Alex Trebek. Yeah. 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 A true really? Canadian legend. Yeah. yeah. Then we can talk about Drew Carey, maybe. Yes. Who's line? Hey, hold on. Who's point line is it, anyways? Close. You know what? I don't really watch Jeopardy like that, but whose line is I it, anyways? Family Feud to know that you guys are. But Family Feud. Wait, hold on. This is Jeremy's argument. Hey, I haven't, I haven't seen the show you were talking about, but no, I can tell you that the, sh- huh? Because Steve Harvey's that good. <laughs> I don't know, man. You're you're like a man who says, you know, I, I can't I can't speak to John Jones. I've never watched a John Jones fight, but Anderson Silva is the best fighter of all time. Well, actually, that's like saying Steve Harvey is an Anderson Silva. Okay, it's yes. like saying it's like saying. Um, we geez. got it. We got the joke. Don't Wait, worry. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> uh, what I will say this though, um, I watched the Canadian Family Feud, and shout out to all Canadians. Love you. Thank you for allowing me in your country. Um, but I watched the Canadian Family Feud, and they had the uh, what's his name, Jerry D. Yeah, like Jerry D. D. Yeah, yeah, he was the Steve Harvey, basically, and he was struggling. And it was not because he's not a funny dude, because I love his show. He's really I used to love when he used to do those sports reporter bits on the score. Those Hilarious. Were- he's super oh, funny. But yeah. for some reason, like, it just wasn't hitting the same. So yeah. let's not, like, you know, besmirch Steve Harvey. He's doing something, you know? I think he's the best. I think he's the best. I'll go to the bathroom anytime. <laughs> 
That's a weird. Okay, all right, then, Jeremy. Jeremy, I'm learning. I'm learning a lot about you on this podcast, my friends. So you have much. a beautiful voice. You have a man crush on Steve Harvey, and um, think about a man crush. And you, 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 you like to wear, uh, you know, old white guy fishing hats. Bolos, so. it's a bucket. Don't, don't, don't you're Okay. Oh, okay. Are, 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 are the carp? Are the carp biting? Sorry. I, I was just asking Jeremy how the carp are biting. The who? The carp, you know. Oh, because it's a fishing hat? Oh. Yeah. Man, this, I'm bringing these back in style, man. These were, like, big in, like, the 2000s. I'm bringing them back in style. They were big in, like, the 2010s. Yeah, that too. Yeah. Anyway, all right, low. let's get to these topics, guys. Come on, come on. Do we have any, anything else we're talking Any more news? Do you guys want to talk about... Joshua Fury, I know that was on. Has it been announced? Uh, no. Joshua Fury. So what? Wilder Fury isn't happening anymore. Uh, Sorry. Joshua Fury was meant to happen in December, right? No. Okay, I mean, Wilder so, Fury was supposed to happen in December. Wilder. So okay. So basically, basically. Wilder wants a rematch, right? And he was, and it's in his contract, right? Contractually, he's obligated to get a rematch, right? But um, it was so decisive that people just want Fury versus Joshua to take place. Um, so they're going through some contract negotiations. And the latest thing is that Wilder will consider stepping aside if he can get $10 million and face the winner of that rematch after. So Yeah, I read a report saying that um, not only does Fury not want to pay $2 million, he actually wants that trilogy. He wants to beat him again. Yeah. I do not care. Like, yeah. like either you guys are going to fight or, like, we're going to promo, you know? I'm, 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 I'm with, yeah, I'm with David on this one. I don't think that um, Fury-Wilder uh, 3 is a particularly compelling fight. It seems to me like... You know, Tyson Fury has his number, and beyond uh, a lucky haymaker, I, I don't necessarily like Deontay Wilder's chances in this fight, unless he does some soul searching and, you know, really makes some adaptations to his style. But you know, back like Lennox Lewis or something, like it's, it's yeah, yeah. Do you know what's crazy is um, I was watching this other podcast, which I won't talk about, um, but there was this famous boxing guy who compared. Um, Wow, and this is a really weird take, but it's kind of comp- I compared Deontay Wilder to uh, Francis Ngannou um, in terms of well, thank the you, Luke Thomas. Of the <laughs> pardon? Thank you, it Luke Thomas. Even, it wasn't even Luke Thomas. It wasn't even Luke Thomas. Ryan Gamble? No, it was oh, no. it was it was Teddy Atlas. Yeah, and he was saying like oh. they're actually very similar, but not in terms of like just the power and like you know uh, the athleticism, but in terms of the fundamental lack of boxing skills and fundamental, um, not lack of boxing skills, I shouldn't say that, just fundamental like flaws in the boxing game, um, right. which I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah, the, the difference being in, in MMA, you can get by with a little bit more lack yeah. in boxing fundamentals just because if you round out your game, you know. <laughs> and that's kind of why I'm just like, yeah, there's just such a learning curve for him, that's why whenever I hear, oh yeah, De- uh, Deontay Wilder has to go back and you know learn some defense, that's never gonna work. He's never gonna catch up. Like yeah. he just needs to go in there again, like swing, and smash him. 
Like, in my opinion, that's the best chance. In my, opinion. I, I, I think I agree because then we're getting to a point of you know what what got him to the dance was that power, and he genuinely isn't on the technical level of Fury and playing catch up at this point, this late into his career, seems kind of like a fool's errand to me. Not even yeah. late into career, three months, <laughs> like it's six yeah. months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it wouldn't be smart. It wouldn't be wise. For him to to like change up his style like right now, maybe you know add a couple tools, but you know. Yeah, I, I think there's nothing wrong with taking some time off, um, taking a few other fights, and uh, yeah. going back to the drawing board, learning, developing. Right? It it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, you should be viewing his career as more of a marathon than a sprint. But um, I guess once you get so close to to greatness, it's kind of hard to. You know. To take steps back and then take steps forward. For sure. And I also think there's probably some business going on in the background that we have no idea about. That it's going to be a decision. For sure. For sure. Yeah. All right. All right. So, we're going to talk about like MMA now? You know? Yes. <laughs> oh, let's get into some sports now. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> How was that all, yesterday, gentlemen? I want to say, do, haven't you heard that if you don't follow other sports, like you're truly missing out? Um, because just the translation of sports, like the translation of athleticism, there's so many parallels in sports. Yeah, it's true. Hey, and I do follow other sports. I follow MMA, I follow wrestling, I follow Brazilian <laughs> Jiu-Jitsu, I follow boxing, Muay Thai, kickboxing, you know, all the sports. But guys, how about that main event? Alistair Overeem coming back from the grave to stop Walt Harris. Okay, so this is a very interesting fight and opens up so many interesting topics on so many levels to me because the fight itself was a pretty good fight you know technical um you know emotional on a couple different levels um and that was pretty good uh obviously everyone knows the story with walt harris and his daughter um and him coming back for her um and you know having a great performance but unfortunately coming up short against alistair overeem as alistair overeem picks up a very momentous win in his career as well on the eve of his birthday. Uh, so, you know, pretty, you know, on those levels, pretty emotional, pretty good fight. But from a technical standpoint, there's a couple questions I have. Um, number one question is the heavyweight division, first off, is very shallow. Yeah, yeah, and it's mis- it's it's very like wishy washy, and Alistair Overeem unfortunately is the the gatekeeper. Not unfortunately, but he is the gatekeeper of that division, and it just kind of seems like, um, if you can't beat Alistair, you can't really say you're not going to be able to do anything in that division. But Alistair Overeem also has, uh, I'll put it like this. A small gust of wind could probably knock out Alistair mm-hmm. on the right day. So I, I, I know, I know where you're. I know, yeah, no, I know. I, I, I know where you're coming from, and I think we saw a similar thing on Wednesday with Andre Arlovsky. Like they're the two perennial gatekeepers, and I was really cheering for Walt Harris, not just because of his uh, the terrible tragedy that happened to his daughter, but uh, also because I, I really do want to see some new blood and and to reinvigorate the heavyweight division. And I think Walt Harris is a promising prospect. Unfortunately, you know. 
despite Overeem's chin and his, you know, the issues that he's had in the past with underperforming that Nganu fight where he fought like a different fighter, frankly, I think that um, he still has some talent. And unfortunately, you know, old veterans such as him and Arlovsky are kind of keeping young prospects down in a way. And um, not that um, Arlovsky and Overeem aren't incredibly talented, but I think at this present age with this many knockout losses, we've kind of seen their ceiling, right? Does anyone have any doubt how another Stipe versus Arlovsky fight would go? Or sorry, Stipe versus Overeem fight? No, no doubt at all. I don't think uh, Overeem will or should be fighting for the title anytime soon. Um, just realistically, first of all, he doesn't deserve it. No shouts to him. Uh, he's had a storied career, which actually leans into one of my follow-up questions or takes for this um, is, has he reached that turning point in his career? Because I feel like we've used to picture him as, first of all, budding prospect. Then he kind of had like a heel phase. And I feel like, especially with what happened yesterday, he's kind of going through a face turn, if you want to call it that, from one of Boro wrestling phrase. Like he's... I, of, I get what you're trying I, to say. Yeah, for sure. He's becoming, as you said, a gatekeeper, which is an interesting spot for him. I just think... I, I agree with you. I, I think if you can't beat um, Overeem, I, I don't see you getting that title shot. However, when I look at the top four... I still think there's a pretty big, even top five, because top four, because uh, Rosenberg squeaked that. But uh, I'd say top four, there's a p- pretty big gap between the top four and Overeem, in my opinion. And that's not to disrespect Overeem. I just think he's such a seasoned vet. Oh, my goodness. What a cliche. But he's, such, he's so well-rounded that if you don't have a well-rounded game or you're not incredibly exceptional at one thing, and you go into that ring with him, like, yeah, he's just gonna, he's still gonna ride you out, grind you yeah. out, I should say. Because if you think about it, like, look at some of his wins, like, Oladek, like, that, that's a good win. That's well, a great worse, win. It's a good win. Yeah, and I, I think what's frustrating about Overeem is that he has all the technical tools, I think, to beat anyone in the division. Like, his jiu-jitsu and wrestling looked phenomenal in that fight. That sweep he hit on Walt Harris was gorgeous. It's just, it seems like with the amount of punishment he's taken, uh, he doesn't have the physical durability to really, you know, make a run he's in that top end of about five fights too late. What's that? He, I think he's figured it out about five fights too late. and Some might argue earlier, yeah. Man, but you know the thing is that I still think, for example, if he goes against Francis Ngannou, that's just a bad matchup for him. Just every day of the week, he only is a bad matchup for Francis Ngannou. I I I agree, with the exception of maybe Stipe or DC. I don't really see anyone beating him, and even if they do, I'm not sure that I I wouldn't bet against. I would still never bet against Francis in those fights. I don't know. Yeah, that's just yeah. We can talk about that another time with us. Yeah, no, I, I just think, like, he's at that, f- and I don't want to say I was disappointed that he won yesterday, but I, I don't know. I, I think he is taking that gatekeeper uh, position that a lot of people um, in the UFC seem to take. Um, he was talking about wanting to win the, the title. I, I just don't see him in the cards, in my opinion, but then again, that's why every fighter fights. He's 40, which is incredible. Um, I don't want to say like he looks healthy, <laughs> like he doesn't. Not healthy. I don't want to say he looks. Uh, do you guys think he's in the best shape? Like, how do you think he looks? He doesn't look like he's out of shape. 
Look, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Um, I know for a fact he he's got a hell of a work ethic. Um, sure. You know that that's not in question. We we see the skills. Um, great counter striker. Uh, good jujitsu for that division. Good wrestling for that division. It's just that the division is held at limbo in two spots. First at the top with Stipe and DC, which is another can of worms that maybe we can get into in a later podcast episode. And then at that number five, six spot with Overeem and even Arlovsky to an extent where you have these guys who are turning away these other heavyweights who are just not good enough to beat them. And the thing about it is, is that like, I'm not, this isn't an indictment on Overeem and Arlovsky's skills per se, but it's an indictment on these guys who are, I'm talking your Greg Hardy's I'm talking your goodness. I can't believe I'm going, I'm going to kind of disparage it a little bit, but Walt Harris, I'm talking about your, you know, lower tier guys that, you know, they should be able if, you know, if for at least the way the UFC hypes them up, they should be able to take these guys out and they're just not doing it for whatever reason. Um, yeah. Now, look, no one wants to see Overeem get knocked out an, a 15th time, um, you know, but at the same time, Overeem's allowed to dream and Overeem's winning enough that he deserves to be in the UFC, right? So... It's one of those weird limbo situations where I feel like, aside from five guys in that division, um, four actually, you know, is the heavyweight division even a division? Like, is it good enough? Like, is it? I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say that severe. But I, I see your point. I think, fortunately, for let's say a Walt Harris. Where I don't give Greg Hardy this credit, and you know I'm I'm a hater of Greg Hardy, but in in all seriousness, I think Walt Harris is somebody that go back to the drawing board, look at uh, some of his deficits, right? I think his jujitsu has improved in leaps and bounds since the Fabricio Verdum fight. Um, I think he's someone that can go back to the drawing board, get two or three wins on the trot, and in this heavyweight division that isn't as deep as it is. Could possibly put himself in title contention again, especially in a sport like MMA where we have uh, such short-term memories for for these kinds of losses. So I don't think it's all bad, and I think there are a couple of prospects to be excited about. I I wouldn't say the problem's necessarily as bad as women's featherweight, but I mean... And crucially also, uh, I think Wal Harris hasn't fought for the title, which I think is going to be in his favor. Um, I think once you fight for the title and then lose or you fight the dude who currently holds the title and you lost that fight, it makes it a lot harder to get that title fight. But since it's, I don't want to say just Overeem, but likely in two or three years, Overeem might not be uh, an active, high-ranking contender anymore. Um, there's a good opportunity that, as Stefano said, if you, if he fights, if he wins his next three, four fights, like who else is there? Like, look at Thiago Santos. Like, look who's popping in the lightweight titles nowadays. It's just people dropping in and out of divisions. Yeah. You know, I got a question. Are you trying to move on? Or I, 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 yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Is your contempt for the heavyweight division uh, similar to, like, some of your contempt for, like, women's MMA is because, like, there's a lack of technique? Or is it because nobody can challenge – 
And then if it, okay, so if it's not, then like my question is: Is the mm-hmm. reason nobody can challenge the best guys in the division the few the the minimum the minimal amount of best guys in the division? Is it because of like conditioning or? Okay, so let me let me kind of clear up a couple things. Um, I I think you're asking me that question specifically, or you're asking like kind of the room. Oh well, I was asking you because you're saying it's not. You're the only one who said it's not really a division. No, I'm not saying it's not a division. Let me clear up this. Okay, I I don't have contempt for women's MMA be because it's guys. young, right? It's a young division. Um, I understand it's going to take time to breathe. Um, MMA in general is a young sport. Uh, for the for the way it's grown, it's grown leaps and bounds. Uh, so I kind of want to clear that up. I don't have contempt. I just understand the, the state of where they're at. Now, when it comes to the heavyweight division, it's just to me, I think there's five guys who I can say, you know, are talented in that division, right? Don't do that. So you're saying it's a technique thing? It's not a technique, but it's like a technique mixed with the athletic. When they put their athletics and commit to a process, right? There's five guys right now who I could say, you know, should win a title, right? In my opinion, I'd say, like, in my eyes, I'd see them as, you know, long-term mainstay champions. And even the fifth guy to me is a little bit of a, a fringe guy. DC, Stipe, Nganu, and Blades. And then you got Rosenstroik in the back, right? I would say Rosenstroik's part of that, like, second tier. Um, I'd put Derek Lewis in there. Yeah, Derek Lewis, Ivanov. I, I can I can I can I quickly interject because I think I think Rosenstrike deserves to be in that top five and you know okay yeah. like I think I would I would fundamentally consider him an A tier fighter although we haven't seen that much of him I don't know about that you know what though I I really think there is a technique a technique there with his striking now sure. the one guy the one guy I will say though I'm very high on and could be the savior of this division is Surreal Gone. Yes. yes. I'm really, I'm really high on him. He's got the full package. He's got conditioning. He's got power, technical striking, and can grapple. It would be very leg kick pod of on, uh, sorry, leg kick pod of us to do like 20 minutes on Cyril Ganning, even though he didn't fight in this card. <laughs> um, <laughs> Amazing my, fight card happens. Is, We're all like, oh, Cyril gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do, do, do you mind if I? You mind if I? Sorry, go ahead, go ahead. No, yeah, sorry. I just wanted to quickly say, because um, I didn't hear, obviously, all of what you said, but to, to Jeremy's point, I would say that I do have a bit of a contempt for the lack of technique at heavyweight, not at the elite of the elite, but when we saw a performance like Ben Rothwell and OSP had on Wednesday, and, you know, Ben Rothwell is a top 10 heavyweight, right? Like, this is a level of technique you really wouldn't, or a lack of level of technique you wouldn't get in any other division, and I do think it's a, a division where extremely physically durable uh, athletes with the gift of power can get by on those two things alone and a huge lack of technique that you really don't see in any other division, Um, which is a bit frustrating. But um, at the same time, I do think while the heavyweight division has been at a low point for a while, I do see 
I do see the sun on the horizon for the heavyweight division. I do think there are a few prospects to look forward to, including Cyril Gaon, including a couple, um, I forget his name, but Brazilian gentleman who fought on the undercard of this oh, card. Oh, yeah, Niskar. I can't remember how to pronounce it. Niskar. Uh, and, and Walt Harris as well. Walt, uh, Walt Harris and... Um, Jarzinho Rosenstrike give me uh, give me hope for the division as well. I think. Yeah, like maybe I'm being a little hard because Walt Harris did take a tough fight here. He did yeah. take a tough fight. Um, also, in not very ideal circumstances as well. Exactly, exactly. That's what I was going to say. Like it's not as if like this is the normal circumstances. This is first of all with his previous trauma and then under like a global lockdown. I mean, you know, we can be forgiven. I, I think as he said earlier. All fighters can be convenient, can be forgiven for having an off night uh, this night. Um, yeah. One question, my one follow-up question, and I'm starting to do a little bit of a change-up, but I, I think we got to, if we want to go through the main card, we got to speed it up a little bit. But um, Walt Harris used to be a basketball player, which is interesting. And I'm thinking, especially you guys who played basketball, does basketball translate to MMA? And what skills would translate? Footwork, maybe? But for like, me, personally... Footwork did it for me. Okay. For me personally. Because in boxing fundamentals, the whole pivoting thing and shuffling really made sense when it translated over. And I find that a lot of people when they're learning boxing don't get the concept of how to move their feet. And then Muay Thai too, they don't get that concept until you're either a basketball player or a football player where the shuffling <laughs> soccer. and soccer. Yeah, yeah, where the shuffling makes sense. Right. So I would say that basketball did it for me because the pivoting, the moving your feet on defense um, and just generally like what you need in basketball, like long reach, you know, long legs. Right. So I could see it. um, But I had if you put a gun in my head and said name a sport that translates, I would say it's football. I would say it's football. Like like a non a non-combat sport that translates well over you're saying. Yeah. A non-combat hockey. No, because hockey you're on skate, so like so Steve Steve Basse. Pushing and pulling, no? I get what you're saying, but the problem is because you're not you don't really have command of your feet under you, I don't see it working. <laughs> this is this is gonna be a hot take, but if I were to say a combat two combat um, non combat sports that transfer over very well to combat sports, I'd say for grappling it'd be gymnastics and I'd say for striking it would be dance. And if you look at some of the best strikers in both MMA and um, I can see that. kickboxing, I can see yeah, that. Israel Adesanya, of movement, Israel dancer, Anderson Silva dancer, you know, Lomachenko, Lomachenko dancer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. No, I just found it really interesting because you hear a lot of football fighters, uh, sorry, football players who make that transition into uh, MMA. For example, Eric Anders is a football player um, or former football player. Right. Yeah, like he was like a high level football player. Uh, Eric, uh, not Eric, um, what's his name? Uh, Greg Hardy. Greg Hardy. Yeah, there's there a bunch actually. Matt, uh, Matt, Matt, Matrion, Matt Matrion, Brendan Schaub. Brendan Schaub, yeah. Um, there was a bunch of Matt, Matt Matrion, Matt Matrion. No, the, there was even a dude who fought on Wednesday's card. Uh, Bob Sapp. Bob Sapp. Bob Sapp. No, uh, Charlie Casey Sherman. Oh yeah, Sherman, yeah, yeah. yeah he was also Another promising prospect at heavyweight. Let's take it. <laughs> Let's take it easy. I don't know. I, his 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 defensive skills didn't look phenomenal, but he looked like a monster on offense and able yeah. to absorb a, a hell of a shot. 
I'll say this, and we're mixing up our formula right now because we're talking about the previous fight before the next. Anyway, my brain is going crazy, but I, I think one of the things that helped him was that number one, the dude took that fight on short. His opponent took that fight on really short notice, and number two, he looks like he his offense was just a step above, like was like a couple leagues above. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very much so. Yeah. Um, okay, moving on uh, to the rest of the card. Uh, so I guess this kind of goes on to the rest of the card. Uh, we could talk about Gadella and Hill. Obviously, Gadella picks up the split decision. Ige and and Barbosa. That was a that was a that was a war. And might say I got a couple takes on that too. Dog fight. That was a dog yeah. fight. I like Barbosa so, at one forty five. Yeah. So. A couple things here. Um, am I the only one who thought the judges got wrong for both of those fights? Or am I... I, I think, i, I got to be honest, at the end of the Barbosa fight, I was feeling... I don't think they saw the second liver shot that dropped, dropped Ige at the end of the third. And given that, I'm like, if the judges... You know what I'm talking about, right, Mike? Did you see that liver shot that wobbled Ige at the end of the third? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought if the judges didn't see yeah, that... Yeah. I could really see this fight going either way. Because Ige did a good, good job of no-selling that liver shot. I thought Barboza probably deserved to get the nod, but I thought, like, this is so close that I, I wouldn't necessarily be mad either way. Yeah, that was an interesting fight. I, and I can't really comment, full disclosure, on the Claudia Gadea fight versus... Uh, sorry, Claudia Gadea versus Angela Hill fight. Um, but I can talk about Danny again Edson Barboza fight, which I thought was great. Um... I, I thought Danny Gay had a really interesting technique uh, in terms of mitigating Edson Barbosa's kicks, uh, rushing him and kind of crowding him and kind of uh, reducing the distance, uh, reducing the space, I should say. But I actually think that Edson Barbosa won that fight. Uh, I just think like his stand-up was cleaner, like he landed the cleaner shots. Uh, yeah. I know how he uh, well, I can see how they gave it to Danny Gay, but. I, I just, for me, like, Barbosa had knockdowns, right? Like, uh, like, did I imagine that? or No, no, yeah. Right, but see, here's my thing is that, again, look, I, before I say this, I want to preface by saying that judges have one look on what and have to make a decision immediately after one round, right, and have to do it in real time, and they don't get the advantages of replay sometimes. Because of that, I'm not expecting a 100% success rate. You know what I'm saying? With that being said, I just feel, you know, Edson Barbosa and to an extent, Jorge Masvidal used to be this kind of guy too, that if somebody pressures them, that all of a sudden they look like they're losing if you're in the crowd. But when you're watching it with the broadcast and you're seeing some of the techniques that are kind of landing, I feel like Edson Barbosa gets the short end of the stick sometimes. Yeah. And sorry, go ahead. No, no, sorry. Sorry. I interrupted. You can finish. Yeah, no. And, and I think that this is now makes fight number two in a row where, you know, if I can be honest, he's getting a little screwed here. And if I'm his management team and obviously knowing how the UFC likes to kind of do away with guys, you know, um, not so much at guys at Edson Barbosa's caliber, but a loss means a lot in the UFC. Mm -hmm. So because of that, I'm, I'd be pretty upset if I'm Edson Barbosa and Angela Hill right now. Um, in my yeah. As far as the Barbosa fight, I agree with you. And I think, to his credit, I think he did a lot 
better job of dealing with pressure than he did in his previous fights. Like he was throwing out that front kick, which seemed to just stop Ige in his tracks and, um, you know, counter knees and the body work was phenomenal. He was moving his feet better. I think like as far as the the nod, I agree with you. I think Barboza deserved to get it. But it's like from the eyes of the judges, when Ige was on, he was on stuffing that jab in Barbosa's face, uh, making him miss and countering. But it just they were both landing. It just seemed to me that. Well, it wasn't the worst decision. Yeah, Barbosa is in a position now, especially in a division like 145, especially since this is supposed to be his big resurgence, moving down a division. You know, if, if he's not going to be cut, it's which I doubt he will be at the very least. He's got a bit of an existential crisis as far as, you know, what's what's his future? Is he going to be in um kind of the state of uh, an Anthony Pettis or a Donald Cowboy Cerrone? Or is he going to make a legitimate run at this 145 pound title? Yeah, no, that's that's my opinion on that. Yeah, I thought like he could have. I think he could still make a run of the title. Um, but yeah, that was my thought on that. I, I felt like he he won the fight. Um, <laughs> that's a terrible take. Hold up, I'm reading my notes here. Uh, okay, yeah, no, my other take on this was that um, for some reason I seem to notice fighters who drop weight seem to get robbed. I can think of Aldo. Off the top of my head, mm-hmm. uh, um, others <laughs> I haven't really thought of it through, but uh, Aldo, Aldo and others, <laughs> Aldo, others. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I I feel like um, when you change divisions, you don't always get like the luck of the judge or the luck of the decision as much as you would. I don't know if there's any like statistical proof behind that, but it would be interesting to kind of check that out because someone, someone called Tommy Toehold and see uh, what's going on there. On the eye test, I feel like Edson Barboza won that pretty easily. Yeah, can we appreciate? Can we appreciate what a good fight that was for a second though? Like, yeah. And I, I, also another thing that came to me, like I think how little the crowd has actually impacted the quality of the fights. Like people were worried that somehow you know the cosmic energy of the crowd cheering was going to give us bad fights. I think if anything, for me, it's, it's it kind better. of made. Yeah, yeah, because when Barbosa lands one of those strikes, it's just like, oh, like David shaking his head. I know what you're going to say, and I agree. Like sometimes it does punctuate the moment, uh, the cheers. It makes the walk-ins better, but like, I think it adds some things and takes away others. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. Well, you, you could just hear the thud on some of, like even like when Gaethje and Ferguson fought, you could hear the thuds. You know, yeah, yeah. It just it adds to to the kind of. Um, spectacle a bit. Um, quickly before, but uh, it just sucks that like your career is in the hands of like three judges. Like, because Angela Hill is looked at like at least by like the casual fan is like someone who doesn't really like who like doesn't really can't really hang with the best of them. So. Yeah, it's an L on her record, regardless, right? As you go on in time, it's still going to be listed as an L, and I agree. I thought thought that she she very well could have won that fight too, though. Like she could have got the decision too. Sure, but doesn't she? Go on, David. Sorry, I was going to say like, and correct me if I'm wrong. You know what? That's a dumb take, but no, no, it's here. It's a different. Angela Hill's legacy is completely different from Edson Barbosa. Edson Barbosa should be known as not even should be is one of someone who's afraid 
No, not that. Not even that. He's one of the best fighters in whatever division he fights in. I've always said there should be there should have been no reason why he never won the title. It's that's it's what I'm saying. Like he should be. Yeah. He he he's a really not to besmirch Angela Hill, but I feel like his career at the, when he hangs it up, he shouldn't have that many losses on his record because a lot of these fights were so close and he won. But for some reason, they went the other way that his record really wouldn't tell the story with a fighter like Angela Hill. And please correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not a fighter, so I don't want to speak for everyone, anyone. But if I was in a position, I'd like to think I would if I was a fighter, I think I'd like to think I'd be an Angela Hill fighter in which is I just I just want to show up like the record is not is almost like a byproduct of what I put into it. If that makes any sense. Whether I pick up a win, whether I pick up a loss, like it's all about not just like the learning. I obviously want to win, but I feel like for her, if she has, let's say she fights, she fights fifty fights by the end of her career, and she has maybe twenty losses and thirty wins, like I think she'd be okay with that because like she fights so consistently, um, and as you said, even though she's fighting the best of the best, her skills aren't necessarily. There yet. Edson Barbosa does have the skills and should have a better record than he does, in my opinion. I, I think I think I agree with you because uh, Barbosa is one of those fighters like we were talking about. Um, I even think this about Overeem where it's like there are a few adjustments or a few f- small flaws or a few poor decisions away from a title, right? Like, and um, you know. Barbosa's frequently been that fighter, whereas Hill, I agree with you. Yeah, she's her her record reflects that. Like, w- was it seven fights in the calendar year she just had? Yeah, some some crazy like that. Unbelievable. But I, I really feel fun. like well, that's okay. T- to your point, she lacks the grappling to really get past the strong wrestlers in her division, and she well, lacks the. Well, the striking as good as anybody's in that division, though. It, it's just, good, but is, is it Ioana good? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Not even, with, with all due it's respect, not, it's not good enough. It's not, not even yet. close. Like, and that's even, that's that's not no huge knock on her because there's few you know human beings in the world, male or female, with the kind of striking of Ioana Janjacic. But it just with without the striking to compare to Ioana, and without the grappling to really trouble her in other areas, it it seems to me she's kind of you know without some serious you know light years of improvement she might be hanging back as uh, like a Donald Cerrone type fighter. Mm. No, I can understand that. I see that. I mean, you know, if you're Angela Hill, you probably want to be considered a winner. Like, you know, everyone go, you know, no one wants to be, uh, no one wants to be Joe Ingles, right? Everyone wants to be Michael Jordan. Um, You know, so when in the context of MMA, no one wants to be Mark Hunt, no offense to Mark Hunt. Hey, you know, but people want to be when you grow up, you're thinking, hey, when I go into UFC, I want to be GSP. I want to be, you know, Fedor. I want to be you want to be the best. So well, I can feel I, I feel it a little bit for Angela Hill. But, you know, wait, I think we, she, sorry. We, 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 we've got a caller on the line. It's Mark Hunt's K1 Grand Prix Max title. Hilarious. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, Don Cerrone was Don Cerrone has been in what five title fights when you include WEC, so he's not terrible either. Phenomenal, yeah, great yeah. fighter. Um, but yeah, uh, sorry. Anyway, um, before we kind of move on a little bit, a um, couple quick notes here. Um, anyone have kind of a fighter of the week that they'd like to share? Um, fighter of the week? Yeah. Uh, I got a fighter of the card. My favorite 
fighter um, on the card. My new favorite fighter is Matt Brown. Man, when his theme song came on, first of all, I like to think UFC is pretty much the same thing as wrestling. In my mind, that's what I imagine is. Um, when Get Matt, out of here with that salty take. Oh, yeah, right. Bro, you watch Matt Brown's entrance yesterday and you tell me that's not from like, you know, the no attitude, sorry, the attitude era of raw. Come on, man. Like he rips his shirt off and just throws it down. And his song is like heavy metal in the background about being immortal. Like I felt immortal in that moment. Let's go. Super hype. I just get very, I just get very concerned whenever somebody parallels wrestling to MMA. Cause it, for some reason it happens to MMA a lot. You know, I'm like, yeah, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me correct you on that, David. So the difference is wrestling is theater for uh, Hicks and white supremacists. <laughs> Says the white guy. It's hilarious. <laughs> really? Okay. <laughs> man, I love Matt Brown, man. Um, he really thought he was going to win that fight. And for a while, like he was kind of in it. Um, so shout out to him. If you look at his knockout, like you can just see like how much it means to him when he's swinging that wild looping, uh, that wild looping punch. Uh, was it a hook? But then he gets caught by the much younger, faster guys. So um, yeah, maybe that Brown fast. turning back the clock. Yeah, man. Shout out to him though. That was amazing. I also liked uh, the Irwin Riviera fights. Oh yeah, that was weird. He's a short notice call up. Apparently he he got called up like last week or something two days notice two, two days, days notice. yeah man for he comes out super athletic um super bouncy just in a way that's not sustainable like everybody could see it was not sustainable um and we're now we're talking prelims obviously um and he fights uh this guy who's super highly rated G- uh, giga G- giga yeah. oh my goodness an One absolute of my gangster of striking I was going to say one of my least favorite fighters to watch at the UFC so far because I've watched all three of his wins. Not impressed one bit. But shout out to him, though, because I've heard he's a great striker. Um, and he was obviously a much better striker. And he was showboating. And he was like, he was throwing like crane kicks. He was throwing like question mark kicks. Like he was doing like the kung fu thing. Like, come on, man. Like, he was showboating, and the dude was clearly like six, seven inches shorter than him. Like, took the fight on two days' notice, and you're going to showboat? Come on. I yeah, why was- not? It's a part of the style. Nah, man, I thought that was weird. I was not impressed. And it was point fighting, and you, like, outweighed the, the dude is like, a, a, is like a, a, a division underneath you. You're point fighting, and, and you're hit. You're, he's getting the cleanest shots I've seen in the UFC in a very long time, other than the, the Casey Sherman fight, which was another thing. But um, he was getting some really clean shots. So I don't want to say, like, his skills suck or anything, because he's a, let me be clear, he's a really, really talented fighter. But he's getting clean shots, not knocking the dude out, showboating at the same time. And then he's acting like, oh, it's like the most amazing thing. And I remember also that his dad is his manager or coach or agent or whatever and calls his left kick the Giga Bomb. Man, not impressed. (laughs) (laughs) I was just, uh, I'm sure he's a really good, cool dude. I was just really not impressed. I, I don't know. I just smacked of unsportsmanship. You know what I mean? Who cares about sportsmanship? Oh, man, you guys. All right, whatever. 
the other one I wanted to talk about was the Darren Elkins fight. I'm not sure if you guys watched that one, but that was an absolute blood See, so back. this is my other... Okay, you, I'll, I'll let you go, but I have I have kind of a point I want to make as, like in the UFC as a whole this week. When it comes to this, Man. Mike, 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 Mike's like Mike's like David. Who's your fighter of the week? And then David starts going down the UFC roster, mentioning every <laughs> fighter in alphabetical order. <laughs> Pick one, David. Pick one. Hilarious. I don't know. I would say Darren Elkins, man, because that was such a good fight. Because um, Nate Landwer, that's a real weird surname. Never really seen that one, but. Landwehr lands a really clean elbow. Basically, uh, Darren Elkins is going for, like, I don't know whether it was a straight. must have been a straight, not a jab. Um, and as he's reaching in, Elkins lands, like, a clean elbow right on the top of the head, cuts him. Blood bleeding everywhere. Literally, the second he lands the elbow, Nate just, like, stops and screams. Like, whoo! Like he's, like, Ric Flair or something, because he could tell how clean it was, and everybody could tell. Anyway... He spends the rest of the round or the rest of the fight showboating like he'd won the fight, forgetting that he had just lost the first round of the fight. So now Elkins is literally a bloody mess. He loses the second round, I would say. But in the third round, after they stitch him up, he gets hit again, instantly bleeding. He's just like sprinkling blood everywhere. I actually think Darren Elkins won that fight. Um, but I think that because his he was so bloody and because... He was so cut that that the optics didn't look as good. But I think he won round one, in my opinion, even though Nate was hitting harder and uh, was showboating, obviously, and super flashy. Like, I actually thought Elkins had better volume and probably landed the better shots, in my opinion. Uh, You can disagree. You can make that face all you want. But in round three, I actually thought, like, he actually put it, he finally got out of second gear and started putting it on Nate in that final round. And I think he's... He stuck it, in my opinion. You don't think so? That was a hell of a rant. Sorry, guys. <laughs> that was good. No, I, I think I'll, I'll say this. I, I agree with you. I think uh, a blood can a lot of times make people go go uh, goo goo and not really give the fight, um, you know, a credible read. But I do think it's closer than a lot of people thought. I do think Landwehr won, though. But that was a good, yeah. Okay, so I'm, okay, I want you guys to to if I'm crazy, stop me. But Mike, stop. Oh. <laughs> no, but I want to go on a bit of a rant here because, uh, well, not a rant per se, but I'm questioning things because well, let me explain my thought process. So on Saturday, you have Keith Peterson, who, in my opinion, I think is a top three rep in MMA today. Um, I think it's Herb. I think it's Jason Herzog and him. Right. Um and- now, in fairness, now look, Keith had a rough night on Saturday, but he's usually spot on. But unfortunately, between the Cerrone eye poke and the cruise stoppage, he had a bit of an, a, a couple a couple laughers out there. But no one is questioning the cruise stoppage besides Dominic Cruz, and that's you know another story. We have to talk about that, please. That, yeah, that or- that was. That was interesting. Um, yeah. You know, I'll say this. For a guy who takes losses so well like Cruz, for him to to say those kind of things um, was so out of character that... This is what happens with the never-can-die mentality. And we talked about this, about this motivation porn, basically. But this is what happens when you 
psych yourself up to the point where your ego can't accept a loss. I, I, got, I got to be honest. I think like this is because Dominic Cruz took the Garbrandt loss so well. I think people forget that he's he's kind of an a hole. Yeah, <laughs> he's Cruz is not a nice guy, and I I know people who have personally met Dominic Cruz, and they say in person like, yeah, the guy's kind of an a hole. <laughs> like he's an absolute genius, but you know, not the nicest person to 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 be around all the time. I, I don't know. I. I I don't. I don't mind it. His comments about Keith Peterson. Um, I think they're kind of funny, to be honest. Totally. Can we? We're we're burying the lead. We're going through several topics here, but I totally mind it. I, yeah. Yeah. I think it's. Look, I just think it's it's super av character for him, because um, he's usually the the guy who never really says anything outlandish, but you can tell is a bit of a. Uh, um, I saw it. A curmudgeon, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's it's uh, on, on Keith Peterson having the bad moments, and I think the same applies to Dominic Cruz. For a referee, we only recognize their worst moments. When a referee yeah. is doing a good job, we forget about them, right? right. Who Who is like, oh, man, uh, Dan Merglau did such a great job last Saturday, right? But we only – we remember them by their by their mess-ups, like that it's it's what seems to to stand out you know and like there are exceptionally bad referees and that's not to take stink off of them but mm. and with dominic cruz like i'm willing to cut him a bit of slack just because yeah I, I i agree the comments were ridiculous and it you know if they are true then like it is what it is but like at, at the same time um it's difficult you know you've just lost a title fight this is probably your last opportunity to get ufc gold and um yeah, man. <laughs> microphones are in high-level athletes' faces all the time, and I think if a microphone was in my face all the time, I'd probably say some stuff that I regret. Okay, but I'll I'll, I'll, I'll agree. I agree. I'll shoot him some bail that when you've just lost, especially when you've done anything that you care about so much and you put your all into it, and it doesn't come, and the result isn't what you want, immediately after, you're going to say some stuff you regret. I'll shoot him some bail there. The next day, he calls Ariel Lohawani, doubles down. You're right. He doubled down. You're right. You're right. I listen to what you call it, uh, Big John. Man, it's just been quarantine time, so I listen to Big John McCarthy's podcast uh, with Josh Thompson. And on there, they talked about it, and they were saying, Keith Peterson doesn't drink. He doesn't drink. And even if he did smoke, so what? How is that legal? Like, how does that affect his refereeing of the game? By calling, by doing this, he's basically not only disrespecting a man who, number one, is not making as much money as he is, let's not forget that, doesn't have the same job security that he does, doesn't have the same name recognition, so it's obviously, it's always going to be a downwards fight or an uneven matchup. But number two, he's calling all referees in the UFC into disrepute by basically saying, oh, we don't know about the background of these guys, and saying that they don't have the internal discipline to kind of uh, check, to kind of check each other, and make sure that none of them are breaking the rules. Because let's not forget, it's not just one referee for the entire night; it's a group of referee. Uh-huh. So if one referee is drinking and nobody else recognizes it, then that means that they were either negligent or they didn't notice, or complicit, or complicit. Yeah. That's and, that's that's fair, and, and that's like the biggest issue I had with it. But the thing is, is that immediately everyone was like, Dominic is being a sore loser. Yeah. Overwhelmingly. So that's why I I agree with you in principle, but I don't agree 
in in practice because in practice everyone was like, "Come on, you know, dog, dog, yeah, relax." I, mean, I wouldn't hang him in a crossword, but I, I just think it's irresponsible. And uh, Keith Richardson deserves an apology. He he really does, but I I want to get into kind of. I think there is something. There's a point to be made for the. There's there is a lack of consistency when it comes from ref to ref to ref. And let me explain. Keith stopped that fight a little early, but it wasn't the worst stoppage in the world. I think we can all agree, right? Yeah. Yep. Now, Jason Herzog goes and refs. Um, Anthony Smith versus Glover. And in my opinion, Jason Herzog currently standing is the second best referee in the world. I think. I just want to add on that and say that the number one best, Herb Dean, applauded for stopping the Justin and Tony fight early, er, Mm -hmm. than it could have been. Wait, he was. Are you saying he was criticized for stopping? No, no, opposite. He got like like a lot of like uh, recognition, and people were like, "Good job." To be, I think I think that could even been been stopped around earlier. But continue, Mike. Yeah, sorry, Mike. I just wanted to add that. Mike? Yeah. No, no, don't worry, don't worry. Because it leads me to a point. Like, those performances, so Keith stops his early, Herb stops the fight with Tony at a good point. Jason Herzog with Glover Teixeira and Anthony Smith, you could make an argument, stopped it late, um, way late. Now, in fairness to Herzog, it wasn't really Herzog's fault, although he came out and said it was on him. I don't agree. I think it was more so a corner thing. Because Athy was doing the right things to kind of show intelligent defense, but at the same time, he was definitely way out of it. Um, so I think it's more so an indictment on the corner than it is Herzog, but it is still Herzog stopping it late. Um, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree that it is an indictment on the corner. There, I, I agree with you 100%. And I think when your fighter's coming into the corner complaining that the teeth are falling out, You've got to ask them. You got to you got to do like the Duke Rufus Anthony Pettis, where you know Anthony Pettis when he comes back into the corner in the uh, the Ferguson fight, he's like, my hand's broken. And knowing his fighter, you know, Duke Rufus asks him, do you still want to be in this fight, son? Do you still want to be in this fight? And gives him the way out, takes the the flack off of Anthony Pettis. His hand's broken. He's done. Right. I think that absolutely the corner should have done something about this, mind you. As far as if we're looking for blame, we absolutely should blame the corner. But at the same time, if we're looking at how we can fix the issue, we can't exactly compel corners to stop fights earlier. So I think if we're looking for how to fix the issue, some of the blame needs to be put on Herzog as well. Exactly. Um, But I don't think it should be put on him for basically being negligent. I just think there's a lack of consistency of when to stop a fight between the Peterson and Herb Dean way and then Herzog. Oh. You know, bear with me because I'm going to, you know, Michael, you're breaking up. You're breaking up, Mike. Time because I don't think it's getting talked enough as much. Now, what ends up happening? Am, am I sorry? You're good. Let me let so me repeat. Breaking up on you. Say. Can repeat. you hear me? You're good. Yeah. Yeah. You you, you, you broke up there. Okay. No, because I want I, I I'm saying bear with me because. Saturday is another thing that I don't think a lot of people are talking about because you have guys stop fights early-ish, but in a way still good and reputable ways, right? Yeah. Not not definitely a terrible decision. You guys have you have 
Herzog, who is a good ref by nature, I'm not discrediting him. I think he's one of the best refs in the world. Stopped the fight late, right? Um, but in the same time, there was intelligent defense. Now, how many unanswered shots did Cruz take against Cejudo? 11? 11 unanswered shots? Okay. Yeah, like something hellacious. Yeah. Now, Overeem versus Harris happens, right? Now, look, we can talk about Elkins and the bloody mess, but Elkins, he's kind of a weird case where he just kind of bleeds. Like, he could blow his nose and, and have a and bleed. You know? And it's, I think it's, like a, it's a little bit of a false parallel because Elkins was fighting back. Like, he might have been yeah. bleeding and hurt, but he was active. Yeah, I, yeah. I disagree that Smith was intelligent defense, by the way, Mike. that's I agree with everything you just said, but uh, that's the one point of contention I have. Yeah, I know. I rewatched the ending of that. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say, OK, look, I wouldn't say, um, you know, intelligent defense. I would take that back. But he wasn't necessarily like showing it wasn't like, OK, you know, when someone is is rocked and they're kind of just kind of covering up and, you know, five shots later, the fight gets stopped. I wouldn't fault Herzog, you know, whenever like let's say it, and he did a lot of transitioning there. That's what I'm trying to explain. Does that make sense? I suppose I, I I kind of see it like a Matt Sarah George St. Pierre thing though where and Matt Sarah was nowhere near as hurt as um Anthony Smith was. I think if you're transitioning and you're still eating little shots, I think it's cause to stop the fight. And I agree with you. We don't necessarily one one mistake by a referee is not necessarily enough for me to call into question their whole career. If this were to continue and were to be a pattern of mistakes, then we gotta get this man out of there. Because yeah. Yeah, he's not I, Steve Marzagani by any no. Exactly. That's not what I'm saying. And I think and he's he's usually very good. I agree. I agree. And I think as well, um, to the point of uh, Keith Peterson, I think we should be way more forgiving of an early stoppage than a late one. Because ultimately, a referee's duty is to protect the fighters, right? They're there to protect the fighters. So if you stop it maybe a millisecond too early, right, you can call that overzealous and doing your job, right? But yeah. if you stop it too late you're just flat out negligent. And negligence is far worse than, than overzealousness. Um, as far as the cruise one, well, it may have been a little bit early. It's not, It wasn't the worst stoppage I've seen, even as far as early stoppages go. It, no, it's not going to go down in the books as some, you know. Robbery, yeah. no. But, like, I, I still, I'm I still trying to make my point. The point's a little long. I, I'm sorry. It's not. No, a, sorry. Go on. Go on. Yeah, yeah. So, Overeem and Harris come up for the fight, right? Now, Harris drops Overeem with a 1-2, right? And hits Overeem with, I counted, 15 unanswered blows. Okay? 15 unanswered blows. Um, now, Overeem is able to kind of weather the storm. He's a bloody mess, but he weathers the storm. Um, imposes his game and ends up TKOing Walt Harris later on in the fight in the second round. What I'm trying to, what I'm trying to understand and trying to, you know, I guess trying to raise a question is, we're, we're here celebrating Overeem for coming back. We're here celebrating Overeem for kind of weathering the storm, but at the same time, Cruz wasn't given that opportunity. Now, look again. I don't think it was a bad stoppage. I don't. I'm struggling. That's all I'm trying to say. I'm struggling. Yeah, you you raise a good point because I think 
had that over him Harris fight been stopped in that moment, I don't think any of us would have been complaining. And to no. be honest, to be honest with you, I had the result of this fight spoiled. I didn't watch it live. I had it spoiled for me before the fight. And when I was watching um, Walt Harris pound on over him, the first thought that went through my mind was, oh, my God, did the person who spoiled it for me, were they trolling me? Like, did they tell me it was over him and actually Walt Harris? Because I'm like, there's no way over him could could come back from this. So, yeah, I, I, I agree. And I would say that that's it's not an exact science in a lot of cases when we do celebrate this, the, these kinds of things. But yeah, it's tricky. I, I think it's dangerous to start getting into kind of a numbers game where we're counting shots and saying, like, if you receive five unanswered shots, then objectively you are not defended yourself. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I agree. Because even for the Walt Harris knockout, if you think about it, he was taking shots for like 30 seconds, a minute. Like, it could have been stopped any point before, like, like 30, 15 yeah. seconds before that. Like, he was eating shots. Um, I just quickly looked up the uh, uh, this question of who uh, refereed the BMF fight. Because when you were talking about we should be more forgiving of um, early, early stoppages, stoppages yeah. than late stoppages. Remember when uh, Nate Diaz gets stopped by, not even stopped, the doctor comes in and is like, buddy, you can't fight with this cut, which, once again, after the Darren Elkins fight, like, I can see why he was mad. But still, there we have a medical professional, a medical professional giving his opinion, and that has kind of determined the end of the fight. And yet, us MMA fans, that's not good enough because we always want that kind of definitive... Definitive, yeah. Andrew, yeah, even, even in decisions. Like, the problem is, is that, but the, the the reason why I'm struggling is, and this is exactly the point, Nate Diaz has his fight stopped against Jorge Maswell, and he didn't look nearly as bad as Darren Elkins. Now, Darren Elkins has a lot of scar tissue, and like I said, he could literally run into a wall at five miles an hour and bleed. Like, that's just the way Darren Elkins is. Yeah. But... You know, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. I'm having a hard time. And I, Mike, don't, I don't know why I am. I just... Yeah. And can I Can I just... Um, I, one thing that we don't have the advantage of is a close-up view of the cut. Because we don't know if the doctor could see Nate Diaz's skull through his eyebrow. That but could very well be the case. And okay. I, I, at the same time, just just quickly, the the disagree with me if you like. I don't think the Diaz-Masvidal fight was in the slightest competitive. I thought that I was a beating. So yeah, I think I think that was a good. There were good grounds for that to be stopped. No, that was a beating. I would definitely agree with that. But I, I just wanted to touch on the. You could see his skull. Mowgli Benitez versus Morales in like what was it two forty nine? Like with the one with Ooh. the shin, where his shin split splits uh. open and between rounds they're putting like a swab, like a, a, a Q tip on his shin, and you can see the bone. I mean, if that doesn't stop a fight. Like what does like you know what I'm to say? I, I think we're I think we're a little more uncomfortable about facial injuries. But I guess. But, but, and somebody they made an excellent point, and I'm so happy somebody's made this point for me. So I didn't even have to do any thinking about it. But think about Luke Rockhold and how from checking kicks from Yo Romero, so from Yo Romero checking his kick, he needs to get skin grabs, and it's pretty much a, a, a chronic condition moving forward, that every time he gets the, like he kicks a hard surface and it's checked or it's too hard, he could get a swelling and an injury. How is a shin injury like that any less impactful than like a cut on your face? You know what I mean? I, I, 
I, I would say, well, I, I, I agree with you, like not to um, take away from the seriousness of Luke Rockhold's condition, because I think that that's terrible. Right. And that's, you know, it's it's severely hampering one of his main weapons. But the face is just like to be able to kick. Really yeah. Hard. Yeah. Your, your, the face, though, is just – it compromises your vision. It compromises – and so much blood comes from that area because it's such a thin surface with so many veins underneath, I guess. But I, 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 I agree that there's like so much subjectivity with you guys and so much unclear because we're talking about not just like the opinion of the referee, which is subjective in and of itself. But since we're on the topic of the, uh, the BMF fight, the Athletic Commission – Right. Because the doctor from New York, um, the fact that it was in New York and uh, the athletic commission in New York is a little bit more finicky than, let's say, a Florida. Right. There's that degree of subjectivity. Um, There's yeah, it's just it's it's not an exact science. And I think that very rightly so ambiguity like this makes people uncomfortable. And I think we're all a little uncomfortable with it. Yeah, for sure. And just to add to that, to make it even more complex, as Michael's already said, you have cases like Overeem or how many countless cases where a a fighter is getting dominated, looks completely out of it, and all of a sudden does one quick thing. In fact, the Michael Johnson fight is a good example of that because... Thank you. He wasn't even... I wouldn't say he was getting... He wasn't hurt in terms of, like, bleeding or anything, but that first round was not... Not it wasn't competitive. It wasn't competitive. Not competitive. But instantly, the second round, what quick, like an ankle pick, and it, it's done like that. And if they had called it in the first round, I'm not sure too many people would have complained. Wait, Especially wait, 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 hold on. Did you just say ankle pick? Ankle lock, whatever. I don't know. It was, it was a weird, it was, it was it an ankle lock or a heel hook? Because it looked no, like no, no. a weird. That was an ankle lock. That's my that favorite submission. Lock. That's my favorite submission. Knee reap ankle lock. From the uh, from the game over position. Yeah. That's just to say that. <laughs> belly down, belly down. He hit me with that one time, and I was so upset. <laughs> Mike, Mike like, don't. I was on my way to an arm and guillotine, and then yeah, nah, it was. Don't yeah. don't feel bad. I've won jujitsu tournaments with that. But yeah, that exact I, move. I just think it's tough when MMA is one of those sports that you're never. You always have a a fighter's a puncher's chance or. A submission, a submission chance. I don't know what's the BJJ equivalent, but you know you're never out until like you're really out. But at the same time, most times, more than more than not, than more often than not. Oh my God, bad! I gotta stop talking. More often than not, we know that a fighter is taking damage that's gonna affect the rest of his career. For example, that Mowgli Benitez. They're saying his main his main tool is his kicks. He's never going to be able to kick that hard again. Or if I was him, I would not, not want to kick that hard again because now my shin is going to get split over yeah. there. I do. And the, you, you bring up a good point that people don't think about, right? It's not just the fight in isolation. It's the entirety of their career, right? And that's why I'd like to see some some earlier stoppages as well because it's like – Sure, this fighter could have the very slim puncher's chance, like you said, of coming back and winning, but at what cost? And most of the time, they don't. Most of the time, it just ends up being an Anthony Smith-Glover Texera situation or a definitive finish to the fight as well. And I can't really quantify how that's going to affect them down the road. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Sorry, I I was like kind of lost a little bit. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Appreciate it. 
No, no, but I, I, I get your point, though. And, and Sure, who are you laughing at? <laughs> yeah, you. We, uh, we were, uh, I'm laughing at the fact that we're not even going to get close to the Ask Questions segment. I'm just thinking about that in my head. Like, we always do, we do this all the time. Like, we're going to stay on track. We'll get there. <laughs> You guys want to get into it now because we already okay. are like an hour and a half in. Yeah, is or there any other fights that you guys want to talk about? I, I think we we're I think we were kind of plagued by the fact that there were so many great fights this weekend. Yeah, I'm like, going to talk about the other card, the um, two forty nine. I mean, no. I think I if we start talking about two forty nine, no. we'll be here for a while. So we go. Yeah. Okay. I don't, okay. I, I don't we mind coming back to talk about more fights if you guys are into that, but like I don't. It seems like we're really up against it. Okay. Um, okay. I think a lot of opinions have been said on 249 anyway. Um, in this podcast, like we've kind of over talked about, we talked about Cruz's comments, and I, I know we've already kind of talked about. Um, yeah, we talked about Nganu. We talked about. Uh, Yarizinho in the heavyweight division. Yeah. We, and Don Party. Once Nganu gets the once Nganu gets the championship, somebody needs to get him to set the edge on their defense. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> like Francis Nganu's a beast. So explosive. How do you Dude, when when, when Francis Nganu gets the uh, the championship, we should just engrave his name on it. <laughs> it's like the Nganu belt. Hilarious. Yeah. Um, you, you want me? You guys want me to grab the questions because we had a, a bunch of yeah, leftover yeah, ones. Yeah. Okay, okay, hold on. Pick one question, because... We, we we have two good ones, and then a couple that are going to, uh, you know... Okay, let's right. go. Go ahead. Let's, All right, let me go. It. I'll be right back. i got to grab them. Oh, while uh, Stefano's kind of... written down? <laughs> while Stefano's getting his questions, um, Last Dance documentary, uh, the final two episodes are happening. Um, quick word, guys, on, you know, first off, Episode seven and eight, I thought were the best episodes <laughs> of the bunch. Um, I agree. Yeah, I thought they were the best episodes. The memes have come out of that episode, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Where <laughs> Michael Jordan's like the Michael Jordan's sitting down and needs a break after like talking. He's like he's like crying and then he needs a break. He's like, all right, break. It's, it's, I haven't watched it. I haven't watched it yet. Oh. No, David, it's good. It's definitely good. I got. I definitely will attest to it. The seven and eight were very good. Uh, we haven't kept up with it, but all the episodes have been good. But uh, seven and eight were probably the two best episodes. Okay. Um, just because they went into like why he took that break, and then um, it kind of covers like um, what his mentality is in terms of like pushing guys to their limits, and and you know they 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 kind of elaborated on this fact that uh, he wasn't, Michael Jordan wasn't an enjoyable person to play with. But um, I just feel like this is just like ungratitude. I'm going to be honest, and this may be a hot take, but this is just like ungratitude at its like finest level. Like I think Michael Jordan shouldn't even, he was crying and I, and people have all types of theories about why he was crying. They were saying like, it was because like he might've, went too far and he's realizing the error of his ways. I think he should just say, you know, bun you guys. Um, This is what you guys, this is what you guys get for like riding my coattails for six championships. Like, no, 
Well, you know what? I will say this, though, as a whole. Um, one of the criticisms that this documentary has gotten is that it's a little too Michael Jordan friendly. You know right. what I'm saying? Um, yeah. And, and sure. in fairness, it is a little Michael Jordan friendly, but they aren't afraid to go into the secrets and like the the, the, the conspiracy theory of the secret suspension. Um, you know, they're not afraid to talk about Michael Jordan and gambling. They're not afraid to talk about Michael Jordan and his lack of impact when it comes to civil rights movements. Um, you know what I'm saying? They, they do talk about things that aren't necessarily, that don't necessarily paint Michael Jordan in the greatest of lights. Um, and I think one of the things that they talk about that I think hurt Michael Jordan even the most, even more so than gambling or the death of his father, is just how his teammates received him during that time, right? Because in Michael Jordan's eyes, you're, you think you're doing somebody a favor by saying, hey, you know, I'm going to push you, but you're going to thank me later because we're going to win championships, right? But then, you you know, you, you the, for example, they didn't interview him, but Luke Longley has a book talking about how he hated Michael Jordan. Um, you know, you got guys calling him a jerk, and Michael Jordan definitely is seen that on an iPad. You know what I'm saying? He's not, he's not, not seeing that, right? And I think that it kind of hurt him a little bit because he's like, I, I fought and scratched and clawed, and yeah, I may have been a little hard, but I thought you guys would have appreciated it. Um, and and the more you talk about it, the li- the the li- the less I'm, I'm buying. I'm just gonna pull them up on the computer. Hold on. Yeah, no worries. The less I'm buying it because or no, you can't tell me that Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. <laughs> I'm just gonna stop. I'm just no take. Oh my no god. Take. No, 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 no. Guys, can I? Can, can you? Can you give me five minutes? I, I left it downstairs in my car. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. We're, we're gonna keep talking about last okay. dance. About how about yeah. how Michael Michael Jackson uh, was such a good player for the '93 Chicago Bulls. Yes, yes. Um, I just don't believe that Michael Jordan could be that famous, that successful, that much of a winner, and not realize that he's ruffling feathers, especially when it's been 20 years since. And we've had time for people to compare him to other people, other players. And literally the comparison is like, oh, yeah, Michael Jordan might be the best basketball player, but LeBron is the best leader or whatever. I don't know. Of course he realized he ruffled feathers. I'm saying that he's surprised that like how he cares. I no, it's it's not that now he cares. It's that he's always cared, but now he's speaking on it for the first time. And like Trump, the one Trump, thing's about Michael Jordan, yeah. One of the things about Michael Jordan about is, um, are you uh, ready to rumble? Sure. In this one point, though, I think one of the things that a lot of people forget about Michael Jordan is after his career, Michael Jordan was very private. Um, you didn't hear a peep out of Michael Jordan for a long time. It was only till he came back. Right, that people were like, "Oh, Michael Jordan's still on the face of the earth." Right, he 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 fell off the face of the earth, and then when he left again, when he was on the Wizards, um, you besides his shoe de- his shoes, no one knew what was going on in Michael Jordan's life. You didn't know where he was, what he was doing, or anything. Right, that, so because that because those years when he was the most infamous face on the planet took a lot out of him. He couldn't even leave his hotel room. Yeah. Right. He, his, his, I mean, what was it? episode five really talked about this a lot where he would, you know, from the time he woke up, everyone wanted his autograph. Everyone wanted to be around him. He had to do practices, training. It must be it must be uh, exhausting. 
Yeah. Now, look, at the end of the day, I'm not absolving Michael Jordan of a lot of things. Like, I really do think he should be more active in the black community. Um, and that's something he's going to have to live with for the rest of his life. Um, I really do think that he, he did have a gambling problem. Was, and, he, was he not active in the black community? Not as much as he should be, um, in my opinion. Um, so I would say he profited enough. But anyway, that's a conversation for a different pod. Yeah. Wait, do, do black people buy Jordans? <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I thought their market was mostly Caucasian. I actually think black people don't even like sneakers at all. So, um, yeah, I, I think yeah. we're for people. Yeah. Remember, Republicans buy sneakers as well. Anyway, you see, you had questions. <laughs> right? Yes, I have a couple of very good ones, and these are recycled from uh, before. So, uh, yeah, first come yeah, from. Ten minutes, about the, ten minutes for the record. Ten so, minutes? Okay, what, five minutes. Last dance? Do we have any other thoughts on last dance? No, right? No, no, no. We, not we not five, on last five. dance. I meant like in general. We have ten minutes in general. So. Oh. Sure. Podcast? Okay. Um, we might want to just answer one of these then. Okay. All right. So I'm going to go with a question from a friend of mine in Trinidad. Sorry, not Trinidad. Uh, Corwin is in Guyana. A friend of mine from Guyana, Corwin. Let me just pull up his question here. Okay, here we go. So, this comes from Corwin in Guyana. Uh, Corwin asks us, should a fighter go pro if the coach and team feels he's ready and it costs too much to be an amateur? Uh, yeah, yeah, I would say so. Um, I think that, uh, you know, MMA, I think... We talked about how the barrier to entry to start is low, and I don't think that's a full indication of it because to keep up doing MMA is very expensive. Um, and when you're doing it at the amateur level, you know, unless something untoward's going on, you're doing it basically for free, <clears throat> which is why you don't see many of them stay too long because it's very cost-consuming uh, to do so. So if you feel if they're telling you you're ready. You know, um, then I think your coaches have seen enough to have the confidence that you're ready. Now, the thing about it is it's up to you now. Right. So if you don't feel confident then don't do it. But if you think you can be anybody, if you think you're good enough to do it and your coaches are telling you you're good enough to do it, I don't see why not. Hold on one second, guys. I'm getting some background noise. Hey, Google, that's enough. Our AI overlords over here are uh, really, um, yeah. I think I think I think Mike makes some some great points. I would just add to that that if your confidence and your coaches are confident, and being pro is the ultimate goal, then what are you waiting for? But I would say Corwin, who who I happen to know, and he actually fought one of my friends. He's a very talented guy, uh, originally a judoka. So shout out to judokas out there like myself. Um, uh, if you're asking the question, it would. I would assume that there's doubts in your mind of whether to go pro or not, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't be asking. So if you're asking, don't feel like you have any rush necessarily. Uh, if your end goal is greatness, take your time, be patient, get as much experience as you can at the amateur level because all of that goes away. Your record goes away when you go pro anyways, right? Mm -hmm. If you feel like you're ready to go pro, do it. I feel like if you 
don't feel confident at amateur, uh, sorry, at pro necessarily, um, with a jump in comp- level of competition. But and and that's kind of the motivation why and amateurs getting too costly for you. You know, you can't fund another training camp based on your own work, which, you know, it's difficult, admittedly. Man, there's a lot of cans out there that you can fight at pro. I, I say that honestly, and there's a lot of killers at amateur. So if you have a, a good coach who's looking after you and getting you the right matchups, going pro can be, you know, just as difficult or, you know, equivalent to the difficulty of amateur. Because I know... Uh, he fought my boy Stash, who's an absolute killer, um, at, am- at the amateur level. So it, it all depends on what you're looking for um, and what your what your end term goals are. But if keep in mind, you can stay at amateur as long as you want, get as much experience as you want. But maybe maybe going pro is the right move if you can get the right matchups as well. Yeah, I agree. Like, there's no rush. If you don't feel confident doing it, don't do it. But um, you know. <sighs> MMA is a very cost-consuming thing, right? Um, Very rare are you going to see the camps that will let you train for free. Um, Very rare are you going to be able to go to tournaments without a buy-in. You know, you know, very rare are you going to, you know, cut some costs in MMA like you would in, let's say, a boxing or a or a judo or wrestling if you're good so you know take it if if they say you're ready take advantage of making some money in the sport that's all i'm saying right do we have time for one more definitely because i have no thoughts on that whatsoever you you guys will have a little more thoughts on this uh this next one and i think um this one comes from one of my students actually julian abraham um the creator of such vicious techniques as the Jewish jab and the Hebrew hook. He's, he, I'm turning him into a really good puncher. Um, Sorry, what did he say his name was? Jewish Abraham? No, Julian. Julian. His name is Julian Abraham, oh, and okay. he's got techniques like the Jewish jab and the Hebrew hook that are really good. Oh, he calls them. He Jewish. calls them that himself. Yeah, because he's Jewish. So, uh, guy's got a good sense of humor. Um, so, Julian, my student, asks. Let me just pull this up here so I don't misquote the gentleman. What if it's a Bob question and you just put Julian out to, to dry? Huh. Wouldn't that be funny? Julian's as Julian says, my wife has been cheating on me for five years. Can you imagine? I just remember. <laughs> <the, laughs> <laughs> sorry, Julian. No. Um, sorry, hombrecitos. Here we go. This, this is actually a topic I have some interesting opinions on it, and I'm sure all of you guys will. Um, so he said, what's your advice to people who want to begin their journey in MMA? Do you think it's better to start with one area of martial arts, like jujitsu or Muay Thai, or do you think it's better to start in MMA classes? And I guess by MMA classes, he means kind of jumping into everything at once. Um, oh, man. Okay. I can speak to this having just recently started. In fact, now we're getting to my expertise because I'm an expert in being a beginner. Um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. So I've actually never done Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but I plan to do jiu-jitsu. Well, whenever things get back to normal, I'm probably going to jump in now. But I feel like it's actually helped me um, get a better appreciation of how difficult everything can be by focusing specifically on one discipline. Um, I think if I had gone to jiu-jitsu while I was doing Muay Thai, I'm not sure I would have learned as much 
as I could have, or as fast, uh, learns about that specific discipline as quickly as I could have. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just a big fan of specialization. So yeah, and also I'll say this: I have been lucky to spar with people who've done MMA sparring. Um, it's not the same. It's not the same. Like in yeah. terms of stand up, like if you do an MMA class. Hey guys, I'm I'm being summoned, so just give me a second. All right, no problem. Go ahead. Me class versus like a pure striking class, like and you do like a, a stand up, any kind of striking, like a kickboxing or a boxing sparring. Uh, you'll notice who's been practicing just stand up and yeah. who's been more um, well rounded. So yeah, that's what I would say. Like, I, I'm not sure how much technique is being taught. For example, like stand up technique is being taught. Uh, just the law of averages means it won't have enough time to focus on 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 each specific detail of each discipline as much as you would in a in a specialized course. So for me, always go specialization, and then as you get confidence and comfort levels with a specific discipline, then you can pick up new things and add to your toolbox. But uh, yeah, that's my approach. Yeah. Mike, you mind if I attack this one next? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. so um, I, uh, I, I I largely agree with David. So to use my me and and Mike as personal examples, we both have weird styles, very unconventional. Uh, both of us, they're not typically what you would think of as your your regular MMA fighter mold. Uh, I kind of started in judo. I've got some weird grappling, weird striking. Mike's got some very um, Taekwondo-y kind of like good distance management type striking himself. Um, I would say start with an art. And there's a caveat to this. I would say specialize. Start with an art. Get to know the finer points of it. Develop some weirdness to your style. Because I think it's the weird things about your style that are going to set you apart from other fighters. Not just in, hey, look, that guy's different. But also in the sense that if you're doing the same thing that everybody else is doing, you're just going to end up doing it not as well. (laughs) Because there are other people out there that chances are going to be working harder on you than it or can do it better than you. Start with an art and dive into the finer points of that art and really find your own uh, technical expression in that art. Really find your style. Mm -hmm. So whether that's jujitsu or Muay Thai or boxing and get good at it and understand the finer points. And I think through mastery of that art, you'll be able to round out your skills better instead of not really mastering any other arts, if that makes sense. Now, my caveat to this would be when you're learning that art, if the end goal is MMA, From the bat, whenever somebody teaches you, especially if they're a specialist, take the things that aren't going to work from MMA and throw them out the window. Don't even drill them. Don't bother. Don't waste your time. Because when I first started in grappling, um, I knew the goal was MMA, but I didn't realize how many techniques and things that I were doing that just would not be ineffective in a mixed martial arts context. And when I started MMA sparring from grappling, I was getting punched in the face, left, right, and center in things that in, you know, a, sta- a regular grappling match would have been perfectly kosher and I would have been I would have been fine let's say playing um, you know single butterfly guard uh, from the bottom while while sitting down or I would have been fine um, in a collar tie just kind of chilling there but in MMA sparring I took a beating doing that so if you're going to Uh, follow the path that I suggest where you take one art and kind of master it and then round out your game, whatever your teacher, especially if your teacher's specialist teaches you, just keep in, in the back of your head, have a litmus test. Will this work in MMA? And if not, like you don't have to offend them and say, 
I don't want to do this, but just keep that in your mind, nod, smile, and throw it out the other ear, <laughs> right? Uh, you got to find your, it's, martial arts is very individualistic. You got to find your voice. You got to find what works for you and you got to find what's effective ultimately. So that's my take on it. Oh man. And, uh, oh no, Michael, you haven't said anything yet. Uh, but no, before I ahead, ahead, jump in and say that one of the beauties I found in Muay Thai is in martial arts in general is the crossover. So just because you're focusing on Muay Thai or boxing doesn't mean you won't be picking up useful tips for other sports at the same time. For example, um, clinching in Muay Thai I've yes. heard, has a lot of tra- uh, a lot of crossover with uh, uh, underhooks and like uh, grips for wrestling, for example. Um, uh, boxing obviously has a lot of crossover with Muay Thai, and you know. As Stefano said, certain things that you do in one discipline, you wouldn't do it in the other. But it's good to kind of notice the crossovers between the disciplines because I think that makes for a stronger, well-rounded fighter, in my opinion. Cool. Oh, crap. I have to have an opinion. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Unless you want Jeremy to go Look, first. Uh, yeah, the non-MMA fighter in the group. <laughs> so I guess my answer would be it depends um it's it's hard to package nuance into these these questions but um i think start out like the the gentlemen have said start out with with one and when you feel ready then you can maybe cross train right at the same time to you know to basically keep the skills sharp while doing another thing um i typically i would say don't go with two striking arts at the same one striking martial art when you are doing mixed martial arts um you know and you know the the beauty of it is that there's now a lot of guys who when they're doing mma coaching you know they came from a brazilian jiu-jitsu background or a muay thai background so they do understand the specialization and the differences and the nuances um you know for example you're seeing a lot more nogi classes right you're seeing a lot more technical striking for MMA classes. I think six MMA has one, right? To shout out uh, Mr. Beauclair, he has a, you know, a technical striking class um, that used to run. That was very w- well done. So MMA specific, yeah, yeah, MMA specific. Yeah, MMA specific, you know, classes where you're going to get the te- technical aspects of Muay Thai in there, but, you know, the things that you would have to throw away for MMA, you know, like maybe staying on that front foot a little too long than you're supposed to. Mm are getting thrown out as well. So the point I'm trying to make is, is that it's, it's not a, it's not as simple, but I guess the advice is, is that get, get really fine with one thing that you can fall back on. That's going to be your calling card. So that if in a MMA match, you're kind of getting outmatched, you know, what's your thing, you know, what butters the bread and what, you know, gets the, you know, the biscuits in the basket. So to speak. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Um, but what I will say, though, I also wanted to end an interesting thought I always have about this is by focusing on one sport, you're kind of. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to say limiting yourself. Oh, my God. Yo, what's in this uh, in this box wine? Um, <laughs> but basically, have you ever noticed in MMA fights how. You'll see like a stand-up fight and just like some of the boxing and some of the defense and just some of the technique is just 
not where it should be for like the yep. highest level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yep, yep. And I feel like a lot of the cases, in my opinion, a lot of people train for MMA striking, and that's not to like dismiss it because I've never fought MMA, and you guys would know way better than I do. But something that is said in my gym is that too many people try to skip the fundamentals of striking and kind of customize it so much that like they never get good at the fundamentals and yeah yeah no you see it a lot you see it a lot so Uh you'll get an average mma like you'll be good striker for mma but like the second you get you come against somebody who's better than good like you're gonna you're gonna be in a problem you know what i mean because you just don't have those fundamentals I, I thoroughly agree with that, um, and I do think there's a lot of that. A lot of defense and footwork in MMA is kind of behind those fundamentals that are boring that people don't train, but they're so important, man. And yeah, to to, to add to that as well, thank is you for bringing the BJJ. What's Sorry, that? Is it like that for BJJ? Because I can see like the mind. You see it up. once in a while um, yeah. with BJJ. I'll, uh, I'll, uh, yeah, and I, I I'll say this. I think. BJJ and MMA is like very bare bones positional. I think like, and to the point I was going to bring up next, a lot of people are saying, see, oh, this is what works at a high level. Therefore, I'll limit myself to this. Mm -hmm. When it doesn't have to be that way, people like Tony Ferguson are evidence that, you know, just because you're not seeing something frequently in MMA at the same time doesn't mean it necessarily doesn't work. Like, don't don't be scared to be different. Throw different things into your arsenal because, yeah, BJJ and MMA right now, it's like the guard is dead. And I don't think it's because the guard isn't, doesn't work. I think it's because guys playing guard are doing it with a gi, and MMA guys aren't, like, it, it's crazy that people still put on the gi and train and to, to fight MMA. But, like, um, I've had people tell me when I was, like, you know, up and coming, like, Oh, X technique. Should I do this? And they're like, No, it's stupid. It doesn't work. Don't do that. Like, I I do my gar- arm bars from the guard completely differently than most people do them. Did you see um, the arm bar yesterday? Arm yeah, bar? yeah, that was a court. Oh man, Courtney Casey with that beautiful, beautiful arm bar set up with hammer fists. Like, yeah, that's the kind of stuff. Time. We don't have time. That's the kind of stuff. <laughs> okay, all, all, all I'm all I'm gonna say is be different. Play around with stuff, and just because you're not seeing a lot of it doesn't mean it can't work. So like, don't be afraid to go your own path. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. All right. Oh wait. Oh, this is me. Yes. Okay. Got. Uh, Stephen, aren't you gonna do your thing where like you you say you'll 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 kill a firstborn son if you don't listen to the podcast or something? Oh yeah. Okay. Perfect. Um. First of all, I just I just quickly wanted to add that this podcast can be summed up as Greg Hardy bad, Cyril gone good. <laughs> um. Guys. Takashi Six Nine just oh released God. an album. Uh, it's, hold on, hold on. Edit, Let me, I'm going to say, hold on, hold on. This is important. Edit. We're not doing listen, listen. I'm not going to get into it. All I'm going to say is, man, when such terrible, absolute garbage can exist in the world, that just I, I heard happened to hear his song the other day, and he said something about big sad and like I lost brain cells. I think I got a couple of concussions just from listening to it. It was it was terrible. If I have CTE, you can blame that man. But fortunately we do have a cure here on the Leg Kick podcast. If you listen to us, we guarantee we guarantee the leg kick will raise your IQ by ten points. And cure Wait, hold on, hold on. We can't we, we, we that people will take that to your team. We'll get we'll get sued, please. Oh, hold on, hold on. The leg kick is we, we, proven to we, cure CTE. 
cure CTE and all kinds of other ailments. We are the cure to Takashi 69. We are the cure to a world that is pumping terrible content down your throat and forcing you to swallow. The Leg Kick Podcast. Wait, we're what? doing this. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> the Leg Kick Podcast. We're doing this. We're doing this. We're doing this out of love, guys. We're doing this out of love. We're not just two fighters, uh, ex football player and uh, a guy, ex star <laughs> of the Howard Stern show. We're, we are doing this out of the love of our hearts, and we are bringing you the best content we possibly can. And we're doing it for the love of MMA. The least you can do is subscribe. Subscribe. Tell your friends about us. If you have any questions, write into the podcast, guys. We're, we're, we're doing it for the love, and um, we want to see this thing grow. So help us out. Help us help you. Help me help you, bro. Help me help you. And God bless your soul. You think I'm a fighter. Ha, 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 ha. Shut up, Mike. You're, you're a fighter. Um, also, if you, if, you, if you help us out, we promise David will stop drinking horrendous box wine. Uh, I can make no promises. I can't make that promise. So, um, I guess that's all I have to say. Um, Mike, to play, to, to play us out, what does that mean? To play us out? I, I... <laughs> oh, for the record, Jeremy is still playing football. Um, go watch his games when the coronavirus panic is over. For everyone here, remember that even though the sun is out and you can't enjoy it because you should be social distancing. You still have the sunshine in your life when it comes to the liking podcast. Are you, are you sign like, all right, whatever. All right, everyone, you know, hopefully you're driving safe. Hopefully you are, you know, I can't, I'm so distracted. What are you doing? All right, later, everybody. Later. <laughs>